Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes. It's so good to be with you today. My name is Jared, and I want to share with you about a time in my life, while I'm not in my 20s now, when I was, I had an insatiable hunger. Like, it was kind of amazing how much I could eat for being a skinny guy like myself. There was a time where some friends and I went to a Brazilian barbecue. It's one of the Lord's most amazing venues where you can eat endless amounts of meat uh, and they bring it out to you and you can just go for days. And my friends and I, we had a rule. You see, when you sit down, they give you a card. On one side, it's red and on the other side, it's green. Now, green meant go, give me whatever it is you're bringing to the table. And red meant go home, you're no longer a friend of ours. And so we were green all the time. And so, we sat at this table and the waiter would come by and they'd slam down this skewer on your table with some form of amazing, delicious meal. And they would ask if you want it and they would look down at the card and if it was green, they would slice with like a sword. They would slice off this beautiful tri-tip wrapped in bacon and eat that and you just enjoy it. And then a few minutes later, another one would come by and they'd slam their skewer down and they'd go, would you like some Parmesan crusted center cut with cheese on top. Yeah, you know I would. And they'd slice that beautiful meat onto your plate and you'd eat that. And then they'd come back around, they'd put another one on your table and they'd see the green card. And without even asking you, they'd start to give you this beautiful piece of pork tenderloin that's floating in a boat of garlic. I mean, unbelievable stuff, right? It would go on like this for hours, they'd come around and they would they would look at you in the eye and they'd go, this looks like a guy who needs some sausage that's been dipped in au jus and they'd slice you off some sausage and you would just eat this. Your face is starting to feel different. Your body is starting to feel full, but you gotta go green, right? And so then they start, they keep coming out. They bring out the, the next round and they'd slam the skewer down and it's like this pork tenderloin that's got like a birthday hat on it and a sparkler sticking out the side. And you're like, yeah, I need some of that stuff. They'd slice it off. And about an hour and a half into the meal, you, you really realize that there is no more room. And yet you have this friend group who's committed to going green all the time, go green or, or go home. And so you start to feel in your body that things are not right. I'm here to tell you that the meat sweats are like a real thing. The fullness within you starts to cause your body to perspire and you, you feel the, the ringing in your ears is getting louder. The, the dizziness sets in, the, the walls are closing in. You can feel your body saying, turn the card to red, don't eat anymore. But then at that moment, the waiter comes by with a full leg of lamb and says, do you want some? And with the smallest voice, I'd say, yes, sir, give me some more as I'm full to the brim with meal after meal after meal, eating far more than any human ever should. Now, being that full is not recommended for anyone. It's not a great way to eat, and it's really not a great way to live. We're in a series learning about the Holy Spirit. It's the fourth week, and we're talking about this unique facet about the Spirit of God, where throughout Scripture, we see that the Spirit of God dwells within the person who believes in Jesus. So when Jesus leaves and leaves us his Holy Spirit, he says he's not just going to be with you, he's going to be 
within you. And if the Spirit of God dwells within us, the question we have to ask is how on earth does that work? How does his fullness dwell within us? The the Holy Spirit does not come in doses. When the Holy Spirit shows up, he shows up in all of his fullness and he dwells within you. But don't we oftentimes feel like because of the choices we make, because of the, the things that we do, because of the pain that's in our relationship or because of some of the shame or the guilt that we still carry around with us, don't we feel like the Spirit of God can't actually be dwelling in all of his fullness within me? Because of my brokenness, it feels oftentimes like the Spirit is either leaking out of me because of who I am or because uh, there's just something so wrong with me that the Spirit of God chose to not give me all of his fullness. And so as we open up God's word today, we're going to see where this picture of fullness comes from. Our first passage is gonna be Ephesians chapter five. And this is the apostle Paul writing to a church in Ephesus. And he's trying to help them grasp a concept about how to live in step with the spirit in the midst of a pretty dark society that they lived in. And you and I are familiar with that. We live in a world right now where things are not all perfect. Not everything is going our way. And so the words of the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians ring true for us as well. And so we're gonna pick up today Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15, and it says this. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So the Apostle Paul paints a picture for us in the first part of that passage about what it looks like for you and I to pay attention to how we walk. And really he paints a picture of what it looks like to walk with the wise versus walking with the foolish. He says, wise people make the most of their time. And that word time is really important in this passage because in, the, the, in Greek, in the, the, the written word of the New Testament, that word could be two different things. And there's two definitions of time. And so the, the word that's chosen is not chronos. Chronos is where you and I get the understanding of how time is measured in minutes and hours and days and years. That is chronos, like chronology, right? But what the apostle Paul uses here is a different word for time, which is kairos. And kairos is making the most of the opportunities that come your way. And the, the Greek people of the, of the early first century, in their mythology, they actually had a character for, for Kairos. You see, Kairos was, um, was this, this uh, kind of spirit guy thing that would run around. He had wings on his feet. He was young and fit. And one of the unique things about him as he flew around, he was actually bald all the way around the back of his head, but he had this beautiful ponytail that stuck off the front of his head, which defies all physics. If you think about how fast he's moving, the ponytail is out this way, like a horn of some kind. But the picture was that Kairos was always running around and he would scream, letting you know that he is coming. And those that made the most of their time had the ears to hear that Kairos was coming 
and they had the ability to reach out ahead of him and catch the ponytail that was on the front of him so that they could then make the most of their time. They could take that opportunity. They could seize that moment. So why is Paul using this word? What he is saying is that for the life of the believer, he is saying that your life is not measured in hours, days, months, and years. Your life is now measured by the God-given opportunities that come your way. So when he says wise people make the most of their time, what he is referring to is that wisdom says, know that God is always sending opportunities your way and our responsibility is to develop an inner sort of tuning fork so that we can hear them coming and we can reach out and we can seize them as they are coming by. That's what wise people do. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 90, verse 12, it says this, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. When we think about life as a a measure of God-given opportunities, now we can start to think about our days, not as in just simply what are we going to do today or tomorrow or what's my five-year plan, we can start to think about developing wisdom within our hearts that says, God, allow me to have the ability to make the most of the moments that you're setting my way. And as I make the most of those moments, I am actually practicing the presence of the Spirit of God within me. And so as we think about that picture of God sending us moments, and for those of us who are trying to become more like Jesus, wouldn't we agree that as you look at the life of Jesus throughout all four of the gospels, he made the most of every opportunity that came his way. With every person that was in need, with every opportunity to teach, with every question that was posed in front of him, he did not just make himself available, he made every person feel as though they were the most important so that they could grasp a new idea, a new concept about the kingdom of God. So what about the other picture? The foolish among us. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18, as we read earlier, says this. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living. Now, there's a contrast, of course, wise and unwise. And then the unwise really in this passage, he's talking about the foolishness. And and that's that's a picture of of, um, those of us who choose to fill ourselves with with unhealthy things, we're going to live an unhealthy kind of lifestyle. So when Paul points out here, don't be drunk with wine, he's not really preaching about prohibition. He's not saying don't drink at all. What he's saying is in principle, that whatever you are filled with is going to have a direct, um, it's gonna inform directly how you live. It's going to change what you do. It's going to make your weekends feel a little bit different, right? So he's saying you're gonna be filled with something And whatever you are filled with is going to inform your actions. And so if you fill yourself with wine, it's going to desensitize you. It's going to sort of act as a depressant in your life. It's gonna slow you down. It's gonna make you less able to capture the God-given moments that are coming your way. So again, Paul's not saying don't drink wine. He's saying just don't be filled with wine because that will lead you to reckless living. And for those of us who are following Jesus with our life, we all know, as scripture says throughout, that we are not to live as reckless people. We are called to live as wise people. And when you and I live with wisdom, that means that we are still filling ourselves, but we're filling ourselves with something different that's gonna inform our 
actions. So what is it that we should be filled with? Paul goes on in verse 19, he says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So he's making it very clear that for you and I as humans, as people created by God, we are filled by something and what we are filled with is going to inform who we are. And so if you've given your life to Jesus, that means that you are filled by the Spirit. And if you're here today, if you're watching this and you're thinking, I don't know that I've given my life to Jesus, or perhaps I'm confident I haven't, I'm just checking this thing out. What I'd say to you is you're filled with something. And if you wanna know what you're filled with, you can look at your actions. You can look at the things that you do and it will inform what you are filled by. But even for the believer, sometimes I know that we can wrestle with the theological concept of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and not always feeling like the Spirit is there. It's a challenge for all of us because we have to hold in paradox the truth that the fullness of the Spirit has filled us, He is within us, and yet we still wrestle with our sinful nature. We still wrestle with the things that we do, the places we go, how we spend our money, how we treat our relationships or our business affairs. We find ourselves in moments where we wonder, is the Holy Spirit actually still in there? And so I wanna illustrate it this way. If you were to think of ourselves, our lives like a container, and the container is who we are, and because we have faith in Jesus, we believe that the Spirit of God has been poured into us and we are filled. But the problem is, like I just shared, we don't always feel that. In fact, what we feel is that the Spirit has filled us, but because of our decisions, because of our actions, we aren't filled because we have all of these cracks and creeks and holes and gaps. We have all these things that we've done where the Spirit must be spilling out of us. As He fills us, He spills out of us. He's leaking all over the place. So what does that cause us to do? It causes us to say, well, I must have done something wrong and so the Spirit's leaking out of me. Now I have to go do something right to get the Spirit to fill back up. I, I've got to do all the good things I get told to do, like read the Bible and, and go to church. I've got to be more generous. I've got to go serve or be nice to people. I guess I should go do more random acts of kindness. And those are all great things, but they're wrong things if we think we're doing them because the Spirit's leaking out of us and we need to keep doing those things to keep getting more of Him. You see, that's not at all what this passage says. What the passage says is that you are filled with the Spirit. And so while our container is not perfect, while you and I are still broken in some ways, while we still make decisions we're not proud of, while you and I still say things, we have outbursts of anger, even though we know we shouldn't, we still use our money in unwise ways, we still find ourselves in places or circumstances where we are filled with shame and guilt. The beauty for you and I who believe in Jesus is that our container is not perfect, and yet it is because of what Jesus has done for us that he can fill all of those holes. He can fill all of those gaps. You see, Jesus becomes this, this kind of glue, this, this tape, this thing that is able to take our imperfect self and fill us in such a way 
that as we are safe in him, because of what Jesus did on the cross, now, even though, just as Steve taught just a couple of weeks ago, even though we are not perfect, we are being perfected. Our container is enabled for the spirit, because of what Jesus has done, to be filled to the brim and the spirit doesn't go anywhere. The spirit is fully contained within us because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, if that's still the truth, the thing that you and I wrestle with though is I don't always feel that way. I feel most of the time like I can embrace what you're saying about being filled with the spirit, but I still, in the quietness of my own soul, I believe that if people knew the real me, that they would run away from me. And if God actually knew me, he would want nothing to do with me. And I can understand how that feels. I can understand that because of the decisions that you've made, you have an inaccurate belief about God because it's usually true about our own human relationships. That when we make one too many mistakes, people stop paying attention to us. When we break one too many relationships, people stop wanting to love us, but that is so far from the truth when it comes to God. You see, God sees you, and for those of us who have accepted Jesus into our life, he is the one who makes our container safe and secure so that the Spirit of God could fill it. The Spirit of God is the one who will never run from you, who will never leave you. In fact, he dwells fully within you. He has given all of himself to be within you. So then what do we do in order to actually be filled with the Spirit and live the Spirit-filled life? Well, it's really said simply in kind of one statement. It's that you don't get more of the Spirit, but the Spirit gets more of you. The Spirit of God has moved in. He dwells within you. He is fully within you. You do not need to ask for more. You do not need to do anything to get more. But instead, we can pause and we can say, I want to experience more of the Holy Spirit. I want my life to be filled with more experiences with the Holy Spirit. And if that's the case, we don't need to go to the Holy Spirit to get more of Him. He has already given us all that He has, all that He is. So what do we do? We give Him more of us. We give him more access to our fears and our worries and our concerns. We open up those rooms in our own soul that we have closed off and locked away and said, I'm just never gonna think about that again. We open that door and we allow the spirit to go in there as well. We start to think about the things that we do, how we spend our time, our money, our resources. We start to think about how we speak to people and we give the spirit access to more of us. So many of us are feeling so fatigued and so tired in our life. And the last thing that God wants you to do is to power up and get on the hamster wheel and do more for him so that you can get more of him. You see the spirit of God, which is the, the truest and the deepest fountain of replenishment lives within us. And if you want more replenishment that can only come from the Holy Spirit, you do not have to go to him and say, fill me more. He says, I am fully in you. And if he is fully in you, when you and I give more of ourselves to him, we experience the replenishment that can only come from him. So what does that life then look like? As we give more of ourselves to the spirit, 
all of a sudden, the way that our life starts to amount is that as we're filled with the Spirit, we start to have a new language. We start to develop a new perspective in life. From that passage, we saw as the Apostle Paul wrote that when you give more of yourself to the Spirit, the Spirit-filled life looks like a life of speaking and singing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's that new language. We start to talk different. We start to encourage people different. We all of a sudden start to become the person that sees the beauty in every person. We build a person up by speaking the truth about who they are within them. We might even start to talk different when we we start to hear people having conflict and challenges in their life. What if you and I could be the person that speaks truth in love and we could start to heal the division that's going on all around us? Or perhaps the language that we might want to speak is a language of encouragement and affirmation. One that doesn't come with an agenda or an expectation behind it, but just simply seeing beauty in a person and speaking life into them because that's what the spirit life is. When you and I are filled with the spirit, we give him more of ourselves. The words that we use, the things that we say, start to change. And then the other part is that we get a new perspective. It said in that passage that we start to give thanks for everything. I know that not everything in your life feels like something you should say thank you for. I know that there are still results of a broken world present in your life today. There is a diagnosis, there is a divorce, there is division in your family. But what a new perspective is, is it's pausing, finding Jesus in the midst of everything, being honest to the spirit who lives within us and says, I don't understand this. I don't agree with this. I'm still confused about it. And when we give the spirit within us, that part of us, he starts to help us gain a new perspective on things. He starts to show us opportunities where we can see him. He starts to give us relationships that feel like life-giving kinds of relationships. This new perspective then allows us to look at all the things in our life as gifts given to us by God, which everyone that receives a great gift knows that what's more important than the gift itself is the giver of the gift. And so with gratitude, we can say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in my life. For those of us who have been able to say, thank you, Jesus, in the most challenging seasons of our life, that's the spirit of God inside of you. That is you giving more of yourself to the spirit who dwells within you. And then the spirit allows you to have a new perspective and use a new language in all aspects of your life. There's a a Latin phrase that um, I've, thought a lot about actually over the last couple of years. The the phrase is memento mori. And it's loosely translated, remember that you must die. It's a bit of a morbid reminder that our earthly life will come to an end. And when you and I pause and we just acknowledge right here and right now that this earthly life, the bodies that we have, the, the neighborhood that we live in, that all of those things will eventually go away. What does that phrase, remember that you must die, do for you? I would imagine that it makes you think most uh, most importantly kind of about your physical time left on earth. You're thinking about the Kronos version of time. How many days, months, and years do we have left? Nobody knows. But we also could think about that phrase as the Kairos moments in our life. 
if we remember that those moments, the God-given opportunities are also mortal. Those moments are not always going to come our way. When you and I think about the end of our life, it will inform the present moments within our life. Um, Charles Spurgeon taught a message on this in the year 1860, um, many, many years ago. And I was reading this this, uh, transcription of his message a little while back, and it's a really heavy message. I'm not gonna overwhelm you with all of the details of it, but the core passage that he teaches on is out of the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy in this section, it's a song of Moses. Moses is sort of lamenting and he's writing a poem to God and uh, an aspect of it comes out of Deuteronomy 32 verses 28 and 29. This is what Moses is saying. They are a nation without sense. There is no discernment within them. If they were wise and would understand this and discern what their end will be. Paul in Ephesians talks about walk with the wise and pay attention to the moments that come your way, the God-given moments that come your way. What Spurgeon is saying out of Deuteronomy is that wise people consider their end. Because if you and I consider our end of life, it will inform the present parts of our life. That is, you and I consider that what, you, what we have right now is not forever. The broken world that we live in, the neighborhood that you're in, the family that you're a part of, the, the thing that you do for work, the way that you contribute to society is temporary. So if that's true, how does it inform your relationship to work, your relationship to your neighborhood, your relationship to your family? Memento Mori says, remember that you must die, but it also could mean for us today that those God-given moments are not also gonna last forever. Think about it. For those of us who can make a difference in the world, you will not need to make a difference in our eternal realm. When you and I make it to Jesus and we are in eternity together with him, there will be no pain, there will be no suffering, there will be no tragedy, there will be no challenge, there will be no work that you and I can do to actually contribute to the thing that the kingdom of God is doing right here and right now. You see, the kingdom of God is the antidote to the broken world that we live in. It is the advancing, ever-growing, always moving forward kingdom that says, when I see pain, I run to it because my God is a healer. When I see a challenge, I run to that challenge because my God is greater than all. When I see somebody who is hurting and broken, I run to them because my God is a comforter and wants to be with them. You are running out of time. You're running out of time to seize the God-given Kairos moments that are always coming your way. And when you and I give more of ourselves to the Spirit of God, He enables us to have ears to hear and eyes to see the opportunities that God is sending our way. That single mother that lives down the street from you, that might just be one of those God-given opportunities because I believe she probably could use a break. She could use a word of encouragement. That person who works alongside you, who is getting angrier and more bitter and more resentful is probably going through a lot of pain in his life. He could probably use somebody to just say, how are you doing? What's going on? You see, these God-given moments are all around us. If we give ourselves to the spirit, he will help us see them. He will give us the courage to do something about them. There are moments all around you all the time, but it is only the wise who recognize that we are filled with the Spirit, 
when we give ourselves to the Spirit, that we actually do something about them. We make the most of our time, the God-given moments. That's what the Spirit-filled life actually is. And so when Spurgeon taught this message, there's a line that really stood out to me. This is what it says. So do we lose our life? Ah, no. We gain a better far. For remember that we live to die, we die to live, and then we are live to die no more. What Spurgeon is saying is that you and I are people, that in our life we are going to die, we live to die, but for the believer, for those of us who follow after Jesus, we die to access and to gain the actual life that God designed for us. When we die to our life, we surrender to Jesus. Now we get to live as a new creation. We get to live in the kingdom right here and right now in the way that God has called and designed us to live. And then because we die to live, then we live to die no more. So if memento mori means that you and I have to remember that we must die. Communion is a picture that Jesus has already died. At communion, we acknowledge what Jesus has done for us, the very act that made all the difference for us. And so Jesus himself instituted communion. As he sat with his disciples after the end of three years doing ministry with them, he sat in a room and he prepared a table for them and he shared with them what was about to happen, but he wanted them to remember something. In fact, he wanted to give them a meal that every time they took it, it would help them to remember what Jesus was about to do for them. And so for you and I today, as we take communion, there are two invitations for us. The first is if you and I don't yet follow after Jesus, we are instructed actually to not take communion until we follow after him because what Jesus wants you to experience comes after we receive him. That's when the spirit moves in and allows us to take this meal and to understand the depths of what Jesus has done for us. But also for the believer, it's that you and I would pause before communion and we would examine ourselves. We would ask the spirit of God who dwells within us to bring to the surface of our hearts, the areas of our life that we need to confess, we need to receive forgiveness for, the things that are preventing us from sitting before Jesus at his table and remembering what he has done for us. Because it's in communion that we see two pictures. We see that Jesus lived a human life. He was born of Mary and he lived for 30 or so years and his life was filled with all of the human experience. He faced challenges and struggles, pain and hardship, loss and grief. He lived through so many of the things that you and I have lived through. The only difference is that Jesus did not sin. He lived a perfect life in a way that you and I never could. And so what Jesus says is when you have the bread, the bread represents his body, and it is his body that has been bruised for you and I. It's on the cross that his body had nails in his hands and in his feet. On the cross, his body absorbed all of our pain, all of our brokenness, all of the sins, past, present, and future were taken onto Jesus. And the wrath of God was poured out onto him. And when Jesus died, he died so that you and I might live. 
And so when we take communion, we pause and we remember that Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so let's take the bread and let's eat. And after the bread, Jesus took the cup. And he said, this cup is my blood and it represents the new covenant, a new relationship, a new perspective, a new language, a, a complete new life that will be filled with the spirit. And he says, as you take this cup and as you drink, remember that you are not who you once were, but because of the dwelling of the spirit within you, because just after this, Jesus was promising them that the Spirit was going to come to them. The Spirit was poured out into them. And he says, that is the new relationship between you and God, filled with the Spirit so that you may live a Spirit-filled life. And so as we drink, we remember what Jesus has done for us and the new relationship that we have because of what he did for us. So as we close, just allow me to pray for you in this moment. Father God, we are grateful. We are so grateful that we do not live this life alone. We are not left to just figuring out things by ourselves, but God, you have dwelled within us. Your spirit of God lives within all fullness inside of us. And so God, even as we've taken communion and we place it in us, we consume it. It is a reminder that we are filled with not just the body and the blood of Jesus, we are filled with your own spirit. And so God, I ask that as the spirit is within us, would you give us the courage to give more of ourselves to the spirit? Allow us to be people who walk with the wise, to be people who see the God-given moments that you are sending our way. Give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see so that we may be a part of the great work that you are doing in this world today. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace, have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariner's app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.